Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. All right, is this better? Is it better? All right. So I guess, do I have to say that again? Because it's only going to come out once. Because I really love Matt. I do. And if you guys don't know Matt, get to know Matt. One of the things I'm really grateful for is the influence he is in my kids. I have two, two uh, old, my two oldest children are in uh, our Creekwood students. Uh, uh, they're in high school. Um, and I just love the influence Matt has been, particularly on my oldest son, Landry. So, Matt, thank you very much. I will tell you, I am still in touch today with my youth pastor when I was a kid. And if Landry, when he's my age, is in touch with Matt, I'm going to feel really, really good about that. So if you guys don't have your kids involved in Creekwood students, get them involved. I'm telling you, it'll change their life, and consequently, it'll change yours too. All right. So it's great to be here this morning. I consider it really an honor and a privilege to be able to be speaking with you today. And I ask that you just open up your hearts and your mind today because, you know what, you're here for a reason. Let's not waste the moment. And let's let God in our hearts and our minds and and begin to transform us in how we think and approach life. Well, as Matt mentioned, we're continuing our series on how you know when you grow. And today we're going to be specifically discussing growing through pain. How exciting is that? We're going to be talking about growing through pain. Well, as parents, what is one of the most obvious ways you see growth? Through your kids, right? And so just to look at a couple of things, I got to have a couple of pictures here, but we have one picture here. This is Landry and Jonah, in case you don't know them. We like to affectionately call Jonah Vaquero Jonas. For those that know, that's Cowboy Jonah. And this is when we lived in Massachusetts back in 2010. And they would go out there and the, they would be out using their imagination, playing in the yard and, you know, playing with sticks. And we have our dog, affectionately known as El Pedro Blanco. That's the white dog, in case you guys know that. And now I am absolved of all my Spanish. But anyway, except for taco, burrito, and enchilada and queso. Can't forget the queso. But... I just used to, we used to love looking out there and they'd be using their imagination, playing and everything, just kids. And it's like, it warms your heart. But then as they grow, they start to look like this. And now they're like these teenagers just about, right? And I love their shirts, you know, got a pony up for those who know about SMU, right? But now they've gone from being vaqueros to knowing everything about basketball and baseball and football. And, and they just become boys, right? It's like, where is all the time gone? Then we have our daughter, Catherine, and I love this picture of Catherine Landry. For those Charlie Brown fans, does it not remind you of Lucy and Charlie Brown, right? And they used to, this was actually in 2006. 2006, it was Super Bowl Sunday here at Creekwood Church. We went off and had a flag football game, and Catherine Landry were on the sideline trying to get involved as best they could. And weren't they just the cutest kids? Oh, my goodness. And now they're going to be seniors in high school at Legacy High School. You see Landry's playing on the football team. Catherine's so active in journalism and the theater program. It's like, where has all the time gone? Well, what these pictures show you is growth. What they don't show you is all the broken bones, the broken hearts, the struggles, the sicknesses, the heartaches that we've gone through through these years. And that's when you look at your life. A lot of times you look at the end result and you're like, oh, well, that's pretty cool. We got where we got. But what you can't forget is all the pain and the struggle that you went through to grow. Now, I know there's different kinds of pains. I'll tell you, I thought I knew pain when I was in the eighth grade. Very traumatic for me. If I can just be open and vulnerable with you guys. 
It was the eighth grade, and my parents told me, Darren, you can go to the eighth grade dance. And I was like, that is awesome, because I knew exactly who I wanted to go to the eighth grade dance with. And so there I was, just waiting for the right opportunity, because, you know, it might shock you a little bit, but I'm really a shy guy. And especially when it comes to to the dating part or whatever, you know, I'm just like thinking, I'm just going to, I don't know how I'm going to approach this, but there was one particular young lady, eighth grader, that I just knew I just had to ask, right? So then there was one day I'm walking down the hall, and there I see it. It's almost like God parted the hallway like you parted the Red Sea. And there she is at her locker. And, and I'm like, this is it. This is it. I'm going to go ask her. And so I walk up and I just, in case this she ever gets, I don't want to say her name. But anyway, so I walk up and I'm just like, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to eighth grade dance. You're going to eighth grade dance. What, what, can we go together? I was thinking maybe you can go with me. And she turned around because I was talking to the back of her head <laughs> and goes, what? And I said, hey, well, you want to go to the dance with me? And she goes, oh, Darren. And I was like, wow, I melted her heart. She goes, I had already made plans to go by myself. And I was like, what? I got turned down because she wanted to go to the dance by herself. Who gets turned down for that? And I was like, oh, wow, God, does it get any worse than this? And throughout my life, God is saying, yes, it does. It gets a whole lot worse than this, right? So, but no, in all seriousness, guys, that was the time when I was like thinking, wow, you know, this thing of rejection hurts. But you know what? God has been faithful. And as Matt said, I will just tell you, I'm just a guy with a hot wife because I am so grateful for the family God has given me. Well, we experience pain from the time of our youth to death. But the type of pain changes throughout life. And before we dig into the scriptures here, I want you to know something, okay? God does not judge you for what happens to you. God is not judging you by your circumstance. It's very important that you understand that no matter what you're going through today, God's not judging you because of your circumstance. The world does that. Social media does that. People do that, right? God is more concerned about how you respond to what's happening to you. He's more concerned about how you take care of the situation, how you're growing through it. You know, God, as he thinks about that, why, why is that? Because let me just, this is a truth that you guys got to know in your heart today. If you've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've been saved from sin, that means that your life is no longer your own. So the more you try to manipulate your situation to make people think it's not really what it is, not really as bad as it looks, or you try to create this facade of a circumstance, what you're doing is you're telling God, I'm in control. And I don't like you being in control because you being in control is making me be vulnerable and so forth. So I'm just telling you, if you are safe by the grace of God from sin, your life is not your own. So through your circumstances, what you have to understand is all the pain that you go through, the goal of any pain we experience is to know Christ more deeply. The goal of any painful experience is to know Christ more deeply. And if you can get that through your head, you're going to be able to deal with the situations in your heart a lot better. Well, this series, uh, Pastor Brad opened up a couple weeks ago, fantastic. He, he read a, a theme scripture that we have for this series. It's John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. It says, I am the true vine. 
and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then verse 5 says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And when you think about that, this is Jesus talking to his disciples and ultimately talking to us, saying that you need to remain in me in order to be fruitful, remaining in Christ. Well, as you think about that, what does that really mean to remain in Christ? Because remaining, if you say remain, it kind of sounds like hanging out, kind of sounds like I'm waiting for the next bus. I'm at my subway stop. I'm waiting for the next train to come by. It just seems very passive. I'm, I'm sitting inside waiting for the storm below over. It kind of just sounds like you're just waiting there, right? But what the biblical term here for remain is, it's a very, very active term. It, it is actually action. And think about it this way. To remain in Christ means being actively involved in your Christian growth. It's very different. We think of remaining, oh, I'm going to remain right here and, and all this stuff's going to happen for me. It's going to happen inside me. It's going to happen all this stuff. But no, what this is saying is you have to be active while you remain. You remain in Christ by having faith, but not just having faith, but having active faith. So today I just want to look a little bit about what this active faith looks like. Um, I don't know. I know a lot of you here, and, and I know I haven't shared a whole lot about my life, but I, I've, uh, professionally I've grown up as a, a computer programmer. So computer science is, is not just near and dear to my heart. It's how I feed my family. So I've got to kind of know a little bit things about it. And one of the things I love being a, being a computer programmer or running organizations that do it is we like to solve business problems, and we like to solve business problems in a way that are repeatable so we can find patterns that people can use over and over and over and over again. That's the essence of a computer, right? Well, so when I was reading and I, and I read this scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1, I was like, wow, wow, was Peter a computer programmer? Did he know Java? Because the way he's created this is kind of like this object-oriented program. I won't go into that. Anyway, but what he's giving us here is a formula. It's a formula that tells us this is how you have active faith. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So remaining on the vine so you can produce fruit. But while you remain, you add to your faith these seven qualities so that you can be productive so that this fruit can grow. That's what Peter is trying to tell us here, right? So what does this really mean? An active faith. Let's take these one at a time. An active faith is a faith that grows as you are good to others. A faith that grows as you're good to others, that's goodness. A faith that grows as you increase your knowledge in his truth, obviously that's knowledge. A faith that grows as you demonstrate restraint when wronged, that is self-control. 
a faith that grows as you choose not to give up when things are tough. That's perseverance. A faith that grows as you remain pure and offer grace to those that don't deserve it. That's godliness. A faith that grows as you do life with your church body. That is mutual affection, or we refer to it as brotherly love, or let's put it in our terms, that's where we're going to lock arms with our fellow Christ followers and do life together. A faith that grows as you consider others above yourself. That's love. What this is saying is that if you want to have an active, growing faith that's productive, that's what you do. I don't know what your circumstances. I don't know what you do every day. I don't know where you go to work. I don't know what your home life is like. But what I am telling you, the word of God is telling you today, no matter what you do, do this. No matter what happens, you do this. Ask yourself, am I being good to others? Am I loving others? And I'm telling you, no matter what your circumstances, that's what you do, right? Now, this sounds really good, but what if life is really bad? In all honesty, what if life is really bad? This sounds like someone who's in control, right? But what if life is really bad? What if you have a messed up home life? What if you're just, things are just whacked out? What if you have a horrible boss? What if you're in financial trouble? What if you have a broken marriage? What if you have a sickness that you don't really know why or what you're dealing with here? What if you have busted dreams? Or simply, what if you're going through hard times due to nothing you've done? Just hard times that it's no fault of your own. What if you're experiencing trials and what if you're experiencing pain? Well, the good news I have for you today, there's no qualifiers in this scripture. It doesn't say when things are going good, add to your faith. It doesn't say when things are going bad, add to your faith. It just simply says add to your faith. So no matter what your situation is today, you need to be adding to your faith. But let's talk about this thing called trials and when we experience pain, because Whether we like it or not, the truth is that trials are the anvil on which faith is formed. Trials are the anvil on which faith is formed. What that means, if you don't know what an anvil is, it's just this thing, this metal thing, right? And you put something on top of it and then you just hammer it and hammer it and hammer it. Because God is saying that if you want to grow in Christ... You go through these trials and you come out stronger. It's not just one and you're done. It's over and over and over. And on this anvil of trials, your faith is tried, true, tested, and stronger. That is the principle that God wants you to understand as you go through life. Now, trials come in two ways. Trials come in two ways. We experience some trials due to consequences of something we've done. Those are actions in our control. Like in other words, when you're a kid, you lie to your parents. There's a consequence and there's probably some sort of painful trial that happens, right? You're speeding, you get caught, you get a ticket, you got to pay it. You know, you go through, you get whatever, right? There could be a consequence there. More seriously, you drift from the word of God, you drift from everything, you cheat on your spouse. There's consequence. You lie to your boss, you cheat on things, right? Right? There's consequence that produce trials and painful situations. We experience other trials due to some things that others have done to us. These are actions not in our control. What do you do? The reality is we experience both of these types of trials. 
None of us are excluded from them. We experience both types of these trials, and I believe God uses all of our trials to mold us. It's all part of the anvil. Sometimes because of our actions, we're caused ourselves, boom, to pop up on the anvil. Sometimes things may happen. You're running a business. The economy goes down. Somebody breaks into your house and steals everything you got. Somebody you trust betrays you. Somebody you trust takes advantage of you. Boom, you're right back on that anvil and God's just going to pound it out and say, I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but let's fight through this. Let's fight through this together because going through pain is inevitable, but growing through it is optional. Going through pain is inevitable, but growing through it is optional. So back to this concept of remaining in Christ. We remain in Christ and add these seven qualities that Peter tells us about in the verse to our faith. So that, why is that? Because when you're going through trials, your perspective could be completely out, could be whacked out, right? Like, wow, I don't know why I'm going through this because you know what? I just not fair. It's not fair. And you start thinking about the things of this world. You're thinking about things that you have today, things you wanted to do, dreams that you have, all this stuff you have going on in your mind when God is trying to tell you, look, remember your life is not your own. You voluntarily, out of the free will I've given you, you've given it back to me. Therefore, you need to focus your eyes on eternity. You need to stay focused on eternity because your life is a blip. It's like that big compared to this big and beyond of eternity. So we remain in Christ and we add these qualities to our faith so we can stay focused on eternity. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. I'll skip over verse 12 because it tells you like, hey, if you're not adding these qualities, it means that you're kind of ditzy and dumb and you forgot that you were saved by grace. I don't want to do that to you, but we go ahead and read it. And if it applies, if the shoe fits, swear it, right? No, but um, verse 10, 11 tells us, for if you do these things, you will never stumble And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you have active faith. It says you will never stumble. It doesn't say that you you, you won't go through hard times. It means that when you go through these hard times, you will not forget about God. You will not forget about why you were saved. You will not forget about the purpose that Christ has for your life. You won't stumble. You will be in pain. You will struggle, but you will not stumble. So that you will have a rich welcome in eternity. We remain in Christ because of our hope in him in heaven. So no matter what you're going through today, no matter what you're going through today, you need to live as someone who has confidently accepted your place in heaven rather than someone trying to preserve their place on earth. God's not going fishing and you're that big fish that refuses to come out of the water to get caught. That's not what this image is. This image is like, God, I am yours and I am willing and ready to go through whatever you want me to go through. Jesus told us in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace with me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Those are the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one that we're modeling our life after, the one who we want to develop a character to imitate. He is saying, guys, I got some bad news and I got some good news. The bad news is in this world, you're going to have trials and sorrows. The good news is I've overcome the world. And through me, I'm going to give you some peace to get you through those times of struggle. 
Let's look at this life of trials and sorrows through one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Let's look at the story of Daniel. You guys heard of Daniel? Okay, just to see if you guys are awake. Can anybody just throw out, when you think of Daniel, what do you think about? Lion's Den. What else? What else? What's that? Interpreting dreams. He was this great, great wise guy that untied difficult knots of knowledge. He had his buddies that were right there with him that went through the fiery furnace, right? And didn't burn up, right? You think of Daniel, he was a guy that said, oh, no way, I ain't eating this stuff. It's going to defile me in my faith with God. So I'm going to stand in front. You think, wow, what a powerful guy. And I totally agree with that. Daniel is an incredible guy. But, but before we get too excited about what a superhero he looks like, let's look at what led up to these heroic acts. If you look at Daniel chapter one, verses one and two, it says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Wait a second, what? What? Let's read that again. Did that just say what I think it said? Did it say that God had the people, his people, the Israelites, his beloved people, the people set apart, that God says, you are my people. I am your God. What does verse two say? It says that God delivered Judah, which is the Israelites, into the hands of an evil king, Nebuchadnezzar. And it's not just any evil, it's not just any king. Babylon is known as the antithesis of God. Babylon is known as demonic, as occultic, as one of the craziest, most evil societies we will ever know on this earth. If you fast forward to the book of Revelation, Revelation, the angels are crying out, Oh, you of Babylon, oh, you of Babylon. Why? It's not that Babylon's going to come back up, it's saying, like, there is never going to be something as evil as Babylon is the epitome of evil. But verse two tells us that God, not just the God of the Israelites, the God you serve, the God I serve, said, I am going to deliver these people that I love into these people that don't really give a rip of who I am. Why would God do that? Why would he do it? I want to tell you three facts of pain today. And the first fact I want to tell you is God allows pain. God allows pain, period. He allows it. You see it physically, you see it spiritually. But God allowed the Babylonians to conquer Judah. He allows pain, but why does God allow pain? There's three things I want to tell you real quick about why God allows pain. The first one is discipline. Discipline, discipline, think about this. Discipline applies to a team. It applies to a family. It doesn't apply to strangers. It doesn't apply to opponents. Now, I was fortunate enough that I was able to play football for a long time in my life, right? I say a long time, long enough, okay? Um, But I played at SMU when I was in college. And the time I played at SMU, we were not very good. We came after the heyday, after the death penalty and all that kind of stuff. And, And my freshman year there was the first year that we were able to play after we were suspended. So the reason I'm telling you this is because there was this thing that we would do. We would practice. Crazy, right? 
You want to win, you practice, right? But when we were practicing, they would work us hard. I mean, just, we were saying, I don't have time to go into all of it, but we would do all this stuff to get the plays perfect. But not to get the plays perfect, to get stronger, work on technique. I mean, you're always bending your knees. You're always keeping your back flat. You're always doing stuff, right? And then we're like, okay, all right, good practice, guys. Bring it in. Say, wait a second. Before we bring it in, get on the line. And we'd run some sprints at the end of practice after you're dead tired. It's crazy, right? We'd run about 10 to 12 100-yard sprints, full pads and everything, just dead tired. And our coach would say, he'd say, guys, we got to get ready for the fourth quarter. I'm going to discipline you through sprints. I'm going to discipline you through hard work because when that fourth quarter comes, I don't want us to be the ones that are tired. I don't want to be the team that, that is tired and makes mistakes because we are not in condition. I want to condition you for the fourth quarter. And you know, it's crazy. So I'll tell you this. We weren't very good. The first year we went two and nine. Two and nine. That's two wins, nine losses. Okay, you guys figure out that win-loss percentage. However, there's one game that was very, very important to us, right? We were playing. We're at O&B Stadium. This was before they tore it all down. It's right there on Mockingbird in 75. And um, Anyway, we are playing the, the University of Connecticut. They came down to play us on our home, state, home turf. And we're thinking, man, there's got to be some way we're going to win, some way we're going to win. I don't know. But anyway, we were down uh, by like 16, 15, I forget exactly, points with about five minutes left to play in the fourth quarter. And it was funny because our student body was like, they left. I mean, the stands just emptied out. We're like, okay, right? And so we just keep fighting, keep fighting, fighting. And little by little, whoa, we, things start clicking, start scoring a little bit. Pretty soon, we're starting to catch up. And we got down to the last play. There's like six seconds left. We're down by five. And the students had all come back. They'd rush back. And they're all in the stands like, oh, yeah, suddenly we're going to win. So everybody's there, right? Well, quarterback drifts back, throws a pass. Receiver catches it. We win by one, 31 to 30. And it's now, it's now immortally embrazened as the miracle on Mockingbird. One of the top ten highlights for the university. So I'm excited about that, right? However... If you look at the film, we did not play perfectly, but the only difference was the University of Connecticut couldn't handle the humidity, the heat, and they got tired. And we scored, and we won. And that's what God is trying to tell you as you go through your trials. I'm preparing you for the fourth quarter. I'm preparing you for eternity. I'm preparing you because you work hard now. You're going to have this huge reward. When you enter the kingdom of God, a coach doesn't discipline people that don't play. And God disciplines those that choose to be on his team. It's the same concept. The second reason that God allows pain is consequence. Sometimes you do wrong things, as I mentioned before. And incidentally, for those that are interested, that's why God allowed the Israelites and Judah to be taken. If you read the, prophet, the, the, uh, the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is constantly telling the Israelites, hey guys, watch it. You're not following God. You're, you're blaspheming God. You're not doing all these things. They'd be like, hey dude, economy's good, good, good. Stock market's way up. Get, I don't want to hear all that. I got a job. I'm good. Look at me. I got a good Facebook profile. And look, all these people love me. Jeremiah, get off me. Everything's good. And then one day, boom, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar, the craziest guy, I think, in the Bible, to come and conquer them. It's a consequence. And the third thing is just a fact of life. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, our world is broken. Before Adam and Eve fell, there was no death. And the, death came in, right, when Adam and Eve fell. And since the fall of man, pain has been a part of any growth process. 
in our physical and spiritual world. You can go read that. Point number two, our fact number two is that bad things happen to good people and sometimes the innocent suffer with the guilty. Think about this. Daniel did nothing wrong, yet he went through painful experiences as a result of being a captive in Babylon. In Jerusalem, he was royalty. He was a cream of the crop. You could read that in Daniel chapter one. He was very bright. Actually, it says he was not only, he was handsome, but not only handsome, he was really smart. And not just only handsome and smart, he was devoted to God. He had a very bright future. And then one day it all changed. His king surrendered to Nebuchadnezzar. He was taken from his home and his family. He was hauled off to an evil foreign land. He was given a new name of Belshazzar, which means it's a Babylonian god. So you have this guy devout to God, and they're calling him basically Satan. It's like someone come to you and say, I know you believe in Christ, so I'm going to call you Lucifer. Your name is Lucifer because I know you love Jesus, right? That would not be fun. He was forced into the service of a foreign evil king. He was made a eunuch, which means he was castrated. So we think about that, it's like, wow. He experienced financial loss, separation from those he loved, name calling. He experienced the most egotistical, crazy of bosses, that king. He was stripped of his manhood and lost all hopes of ever having a family of his own. He was forced to learn occultic practices. Just imagine the emotional and physical pain that Daniel experienced. All this, and yet he himself did not deserve it. Kind of puts things in context. I mean, his life was turned upside down. He lost everything. And the, the reality is, well, as a great example, it is a Daniel, because you read the rest of it, all the great things you guys already told me about the lions and the fiery furnace, the interpretation of dreams, his rise to fame in Babylon. But Jesus is a much greater example than Daniel because Jesus willingly gave up his life where it was taken from Daniel. And for us, as we experience painful times, we need to remember what Jesus prayed on our behalf. In John 17, 15, it says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And this is something you have to know today. Jesus was not praying for your comfort. Jesus was praying for your protection, not your escape. Jesus was saying, God, I want you to protect them. Father, protect them as they go through their hard times. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world and let them escape these hard times, but protect them as they go through these difficult times. That's tough stuff, but it's true, and it's just reality. I wish I could sugarcoat it, but I can't. Jesus was praying for our protection, not our escape. And fact number three is there is purpose in our pain. There is purpose in our pain. Daniel used his painful experience to glorify God and benefit others. I encourage you, go home and read Daniel 1 through 6. It's fascinating. In chapter 1, he was tested by what he ate. We already talked about that. And it progresses more and more and more. All this, why? Why? Daniel experienced repeated, 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 repeated trials. Repeated trials. For doing what? For honoring God. And after going through all these trials, Daniel was trusted to deliver some of the most powerful prophecies in the Bible. And that's after chapter 6 and 7 and beyond. But in each of Daniel's trials, what's amazing here is Daniel's Old Testament. Peter, we read about the formula as New Testament. But what did Daniel do? In each of these trials, Daniel showed goodness to others. 
So incredible how he should. He saved the life of people that are trying to kill him. He increased his knowledge of God. He refused to give up his practices of worshiping God. He demonstrated self-control when he could have just been like, forget you, king. I'm not helping you out. He extended grace and he never retaliated for things done to him. He remained on the vine and God produced tremendous fruit in the life of Daniel. So what do we have to hold on to? Romans chapter five tells us, but we, us, glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given us. That word perseverance in that context has a Greek word that means that's called hupomone. And hupomone means cheerful or hopeful endurance, constancy, enduring patience, patient continuance, What that means is that God is preparing us not to get through this trial, but also to get through the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. Because if you want to be imitator of Christ, you have to learn to glory and have joy through your suffering. I've experienced this in my life, in my finances, in my career, in my marriage. I can tell you with 100% confidence that tackling the hard stuff in life God's way by adding to my faith is much better than what I did my way. God has taught me to trust him. We've lost a ton of money in business ventures. I got this word hoop of money from my brother. He and I were, were going off to a business venture. Totally just did not work out for us. We hit rock bottom. Hit rock bottom. He came and he came, hey, look at this word hoop of money. It means that God's saying we could do more. I was like, dude, you're nuts. You're nuts. But it stuck. It's stuck. And I've seen how God has shown me through my finances, through the trials, when I did it on my own and failed, God is saying, dude, I'm your provider. You're not your provider. I am your source. God has taught me to trust him to be good to others, even when they're mistreating me in my career. Yes, people talk bad about me. I don't like this Darren guy. I'm like, what? Who doesn't like Darren? Come on. But yes, believe it or not, there's people that say that. Can you imagine But what does Darren do? Darren retaliates with cold shoulders, with I'll show them, you know, whatever. But God taught me, dude, I'm your identity. I'm your identity. Your job isn't your identity. God has taught me the beauty of restoration through my wife, Kim. She has forgiven and extended grace to me even when I've hurt her deeply. I've put her through stuff that I pray that you never put your wives through. And what did God teach me through all that? He's taught me, seriously taught me that the way I treat my wife is a direct mirror relationship to how I worship God. And if I want to be right with God, I need to be right with my wife. If I am not right with my wife, I am not going to be right with God. God showed me that, that worship is beyond just what we're doing here today. And it's these repeated trials that God used to mold, shape, and change me And prepare me for his purposes through me. Because the reality is your pain often reveals God's purposes for you. In 2 Corinthians, we read this from time to day. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, we read about God says that we suffer so that we can comfort others. We suffer so we can comfort others. God does not want you to keep your pain a secret. He doesn't want you to hoard it for yourself and say, get me through this, God, so I can just go be normal like everybody else. God is saying, you go through your pain because your suffering is there because I want you to comfort 
somebody else. If you've gone through a hurt, God wants you to help people going through that same hurt. That's the essence of maturity. Who better to help someone through bankruptcy than someone who's been through it? Who better to help someone restore marriage than someone who's been through it? Who better to help comfort someone through a sickness than someone who has been through it? I'm telling you guys, there's purpose. There's purpose to the pain. Who better to comfort someone through the loss of a loved one than someone who has been through it? God designed us to be better together than on our own. And the enemy wants you to focus on your pain and separate you from the herd. But I'm telling you, God is saying, no, you hold on because you're on that anvil. And I'm hammering and I'm hammering and I'm hammering. But as I hammer, I'm joining you with other people because someone's going to comfort you and then you're going to comfort them. And that's how we get through this together. So as we conclude today, I just want you to know that our circumstance never changes who God is or who we are in God. And I want you to know something as we end. There is a difference between peace and comfort. Peace is a strong position that says, peace has given me the confidence to continue going the way I'm going in God. Comfort is I'm going to sit back. It's a temporary state. You don't grow in comfort. You grow in peace. And in peace, there's two different things. There's peace with God and there's the peace of God. Peace with God was granted us at salvation. Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And if you choose to accept him, you now have access to the father. You are no longer his enemy. You are at peace with God. Then there's a peace of God that we read about in Philippians 4, 7 that says, may the peace of God transcend all your understanding. That peace you may or may not have depending on your ability to yield to God every day. You have to let that rule and reign in your heart. And I'm telling you, the peace of God is the most powerful, powerful, powerful ally as you go through your trials. So today, I want you to think about one statement. You fill in this blank. I don't understand why I'm going through blank. Yet, I will choose to remain in Christ by adding to my faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. That's your choice today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, God, that your word is reality. I thank you, God, that that your word is true and it's right and it's timeless. No matter that we read about things that happened thousands of years ago, they're relevant to my life that happened a minute ago and that will happen a minute from now. And Father, right now I pray for the hearts and minds here. God, if someone is here and doesn't have peace with you through salvation, I pray, God, that you speak to them and this be an opportunity for them to accept you. And I pray, God, that not one person leave here without yielding to the peace of you, which will be our strength getting through our trials. God, most of all, I pray that your word about adding to our faith these seven qualities, 
just challenge us this week, God, and help us understand that there's purpose to our pain so that we can help others and glorify you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.